Hi, it's the 21st of September 2018. This is the Room Now Weekend Review. I'm Dr. Jack Cush, Executive Editor of RoomNow.com. This week in the news, proliferating, profitable, and totally unproven stem cell clinics. Pregnancy and psoriatic arthritis, is there good news or not? Got milk, got osteoarthritis, what's the association? We'll cover it here. But first, an announcement. Room Now is proud to announce Room Now Live, our first CME meeting that'll be held next year in 2019, March 22, beginning Friday afternoon, all day March 23 on Saturday, and a half day March 24 in the morning. We're going to have 16 hours of medical education, novel programming, truly novel programming, that will not only be broadcast live, but will be interactive, There'll be a lot of networking. We'll be streaming both during the meeting and after the meeting. I think you're gonna find this a meeting apart, something like you've never seen before. We're gonna have pre-learning modules. We're gonna have a flipped classroom design. We're gonna have pods with focused education and long and intensive panel discussions with a highly experienced faculty. And we're gonna have TED-like talks from some of the greatest educators that we have in our discipline that will intersperse throughout the program that will make this truly novel. You can go to roomnow.live to learn more about this meeting and as we unfold it, as we fully um, develop our, our program and our faculty. It's gonna be exciting. I think you're gonna love it. At the top of the news, we wanna congratulate Beth Jonas. She's the new Chief of Rheumatology, Allergy and Immunology at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine. Beth is well known to many rheumatologists. She's been the, uh, the interim chair for a while and has a, 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 a well-established career in rheumatology. She's got a diverse set of interests. She's a great leader, a great asset to UNC. Congratulations to Beth. Psoriatic arthritis, you know, we know a lot, again, about, we've been covering this last few weeks, a lot about pregnancy, and it's good that, that this is getting flushed out to teach us more about pregnancy. An interesting study comes out about 35 pregnancies and 25 patients with psoriatic arthritis. Not a lot of data, but important data. The most important thing is that most of these patients did well throughout their, their pregnancies, but as would be expected in many inflammatory arthritis or autoimmune conditions, they all tend to flare postpartum, the vast majority after six months. The interesting thing was that of the two-thirds that were on biologics, um, discontinuation of biologics was uniformly associated with the flare of disease activity. However, the one-third that didn't discontinue their biologics, they all actually did well and had no flare of activity. There's something to be learned there. Again, you don't have to stop a biologic, especially if someone has had more recently aggressive disease. It's not the biologic that's dangerous. It's maternal disease activity that's dangerous to both the patient and to the offspring. The, the um, MMWR actually has covered um, a number of different uh, musculoskeletal issues over the years, and a recent review of their uh, NHIS survey shows that in 2016, 20% of U.S. adults had chronic pain. 8% uh, of that pain, uh, or almost a third, more than a third, is high-impact pain, meaning it's associated with mobility. What's interesting about this, besides being associated with poverty, less education, those who have public health insurance, is that pain costs the U.S. society $560 billion a year in direct medical costs, lost productivity, wages, and disability. This is tremendous impact on society, and now we have this 
opioid epidemic, which is making everybody freak out about pain and patients and their pain are not getting treated. This is really becoming a crisis. This is a major public health issue countered by a major public health scare in the opioid epidemic. Something has to be done. I'm sure you, the rheumatologist, can solve this. What about chronic pain? Um, it's an issue in a lot of arthritis, especially in axial spondyloarthritis. Uh, a bit of research looked at those who have uh, chronic axial spondyloarthritis who have ongoing pain. If they originally had an MRI of the SI joints um, that was found to be negative, repeat MRIs were shown to be of no value. This is sort of common sense medicine, but we need good research to sort of point out where to go when, coming, when making these decisions in practice. An interesting study comes out looking at a measure I didn't know about, Galactin-9, uh, and its association with other markers and potential biomarkers in lupus for disease activity, including the chemokine CXCL10, um, the type 2 TNF receptor, uh, circulating TNF receptor. They looked at patients with lupus, APS patients, APS and lupus patients, and they showed that these all tend to correlate with, well with activity. However, Galactin-9, was better than double-stranded DNA and the other measures in correlating with an overall uh, alpha interferon, a type one interferon score. Uh, as you know, you know, lupus is hard to characterize and uh, I believe, as many of you do, lupus is a number of different diseases and there's good research that suggests there's a subset of lupus patients that have, uh, are driven by type one interferon, making, you know, B cells go crazy through uh, plasmacytic dendritic, dendritic cells, et cetera, that really amplify their response. Knowing who those patients are may help to better define who their, what their therapy is going to be in the future. Uh, last week, there's a, a very important dermatology congress going on in uh, Paris. It's the EADV uh, 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 conference. Uh, a number of different reports. One I thought was interesting was um, two products being developed by Pfizer, a JAK3 inhibitor and another uh, TIC2 JAK1 inhibitor being studied in a number of different disorders, but they have uh, good new data on patients with alopecia areata. Not the most severe alopecia universalis, but just alopecia areata. 24-week data showed significant reductions like 0.0001 or less, um, significant improvement uh, in a, their disease activity score and measured as early as week six. So again, uh, this is another area of ripe development more in these, the Jack family, which includes TIC2 uh, uh, as a potential new therapies. Um, today we reported on Room Now the results of a study coming from the Journal of Nutrition called the Maastricht study that looked at dairy intake and the risk of osteoarthritis. It's often been stated there's an inverse relationship between osteoarthritis and dairy intake. And they looked at this in over 3,000 normal controls in the Maastricht study, found that about 14% of those patients had uh, ACR-defined uh, knee osteoarthritis. And what they showed in this very extensive uh, survey, 253 items done repeatedly, uh, that um, dairy consumption, especially full fat dairy um, and hard cheeses, uh, what's called Dutch cheeses, includes Edam and a few others, but not milk was associated with about a 30% reduction in the risk of knee osteoarthritis. Uh, I think this is good data. It's actually repeats some of the data that's been shown before. There's an argument about whether milk should be included in this mix or not, or whether a yogurt should be included in this mix or not, but there seems to be consistent story here that dairy is associated with a risk of osteoarthritis, not inflammatory arthritis.
if you haven't seen the JAMA article, you should go to the Room Now website, click on the link. Um, the title of the, of the piece is called Unproven But Profitable Stem Cell Clinics. It's a really nice uh, viewpoint that really discusses this issue of the proliferation of these stem cell clinics in the United States and, and what the FDA is doing about them. Again, the numbers are staggering. I think the numbers are something like this. 300 in 2016, there's 351 companies marketing stem cell products and preparations to you know over 600 clinics. And the estimates are that this number is going up uh, by 100 a year, that uh, currently there's probably more than 750 stem cell clinics. Again, largely being marketed towards the treatment of musculoskeletal disease, especially osteoarthritis, knee osteoarthritis, and yet the proof of their efficacy is nil. Um, and again, they point out that their proof is patient testimonials rather than well-designed studies. Now, mind you, there are studies that are going on in this arena and we await those and they're being done by good academicians in the orthopedic world, but there's such tremendous profit. These are largely cash, um, cash only businesses. They are sometimes covered by insurance, um, but most of these are self-pay. Uh, and patients really believe in it. It doesn't help that they're also being marketed to celebrities and athletes and whatnot, um, much like PRPP and, and others um, for injuries and repair. So again, and it's not just in musculoskeletal medicine, they're being used for Parkinson's and better vision and Alzheimer's. And again, the claims are a little bit um, crazy, um, but um, you know, I think that you'll see that the, the, the brief synopsis that we provide of the JAMA article gives you a taste of what's going on in this world. And you see these patients as I do, but it's good to know what the data is. There's an interesting study that comes out of Israel about the association between giant cell arteritis and inflammatory bowel disease. Um, in Israel, they looked at a claims data set of 3,938 patients who had GCA and matched them against 21,000 uh, match controls. And they found that the GCA patients had a significantly higher association uh, uh, between, uh, uh, Crohn's, between it and Crohn's disease and or ulcerative colitis, somewhere between a four and six fold higher rate. Turns out that the odds uh, ratio was highest in middle-aged um, GCA patients, so those probably around 50-ish or more, whereas the elderly, those greater than 65, had a lower association. So it was 8.1 for uh, middle-aged GCA patients, but it was only 3.8 for elderly GCA patients. Nonetheless, um, this is something to consider that in your patients who have GCA, it probably would be reasonable to enforce the health maintenance practice of getting regular colonoscopy and probably even force the issue more so if patients are having symptoms that might be construed as possibly due, being due to inflammatory bowel disease. So it seems like this issue is about the crazies. Let's talk about breast implants and musculoskeletal disease. Those of you who went through this in the 80s and 90s as I did um, found that there was a lot of hysteria about um, silicone uh, um, coated breast implants maybe giving rise to autoimmune disease. These were taken off the market for a lot of reasons, but there was no proof back then, as there probably still is no proof uh, of an association with autoimmune disease. Uh, in 2012, the moratorium was, was lifted, uh, and now we're back into an era where it's not just saline implants, but there's also silicone implants. So the Annals of Surgery reported a study of over 99,000, almost 10,000 patients 
that they studied, 56% of whom were, had received uh, first augmentation mammoplasty uh, with silicone implants. And they compared the incidence of a number of different disorders, and that included autoimmune, and they unfortunately compared that to um, normalized population data as opposed to uh, a well-matched control, and they found higher rates of Sjogren's syndrome with an SIR of 8.1, scleroderma of 7.0, rheumatoid arthritis of 5.9, stillbirths 4.5, and melanoma 3.7. Again, these are in the study felt to be significant, but there's a, a car, uh, uh, at the same time a corresponding editorial from the FDA saying this data should be viewed with a lot of skepticism. It's not a well-designed uh, analysis. Uh, these are post-marketing studies required by the manufacturers for which they drew their data without any good controls, uh, without appropriate controls. Uh, and again, this, this, this is going to create some degree of hysteria that you should be aware of. Um, lastly, we'll end with, um, I think, an interesting proposal from a French group. This is reported in JAMA of a new classification scheme for patients with idiopathic inflammatory myopathy. What they did in their network is they identified 260 patients who had complete data, uh, and they analyzed their data for and did cluster analyses, and they came up with a scheme that's different from the classic Bohan and Peter classification, which you remember is classic PM, classic DM, uh, DM associated with malignancy, uh, uh, myopathy associated with connective tissue disease, childhood, etc. They instead narrowed their classification scheme to four categories. Uh, number one, inclusion body myositis. Inclusion body myositis. Number two, immune-related necrotizing myopathy. Number three, dermatomyositis. And number four, the antisynthetase syndrome. That comprised the vast majority of their patients. Um, they may be faulted for not including children in their in their analysis, and maybe that would change things. But I think this is a. They, they tried to base their analysis based on um, the pathology, the immunology, the the serology associated with these clinical syndromes and came up with these clusters that may have uh, some uh, uh, guidance potential going forward. That's it for this week at roomnow.com. Be sure to tune in. Be sure to come by our booth at ACR where we have a lot of exciting, exciting things happening. We'll tell you about that in the next few weeks leading up to the meeting. Have a great weekend. Goodbye.